Hallelujah. Glory be to God. I am going to bring a message this morning that I've entitled Jesus and the Power of Thanksgiving. So if you go with me to Luke chapter 17, I am going to read from verse 11. Luke 17, I'm going to read from verse 11. Night happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers. Who stood afar off? And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, go show yourselves to the priests. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, returned with a loud voice, glorified God, and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give God glory except this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Now, before I go into any more details of that text, I want to share with us four things that I believe are essential in the kingdom of God. Four things. And then from there, I'm going to segue into the passage we just read. Now, number one, if you and I are to function and enjoy the benefits of the kingdom of God, the first thing I believe must happen to us is acquire the language of the kingdom. Acquiring the language of the kingdom. Now, you may say to me, Pastor, what are you talking about? What do you mean by that? Well, as you're asking me the question, let me ask you a question. And that question is, when the Bible tells us in Genesis that in the beginning God created the heavens and earth, we were told how God did the creation. The Bible says, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. The question is, what language did he speak? Did he make that pronouncement in English? Did he make that pronouncement in Spanish? Or maybe did he speak Igbo or Yoruba or Hausa? What language? Is that something? This is critically important because if we are going to function in a kingdom... We need to know the language of the kingdom. Dr. Patbelo, you're a missionary stateswoman. As you go from nation to nation, would you not agree that it's easier for a missionary to function in the country of their domicile if they understand the language? If I go live in Botswana and think I will function in just speaking English and Yoruba, 
I may function, but I'll be limited. Many believers are in the kingdom of God, not understanding that there's a language in the kingdom. That language is not English, it's not Spanish, it's not House of Yoruba, Igbo, it's not Finnish, it's not any of those things. There is a language of the kingdom. Say that after me. Say, there's a language of the kingdom of God. In Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, God introduces to us his language. The Bible says, God, who at sundry times has spoken to the prophets and the fathers, or rather, has spoken to the fathers by the prophets. In these last days, he's not speaking to us by who? By his son. So don't come to the kingdom of God bringing the language of the prophets. Because he's no longer speaking in that language. He's speaking by his son. So if you're asking me the language of God in the kingdom of God that we're in now, I'll tell you the language is sonish. S-O-N-I-S-H. Just as the Englishman, Pastor speaks English. The kingdom people speaks Sonish, which is simply Jesus. I know this because the only other introduction to God we have in the Bible is John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. And the word became what? Flesh and dwelt among us. So the only other person who was there when God spoke in Genesis was the word. Jesus. This is critical. Because what I'm saying to you is everything you read from Genesis to Revelation must only be understood through the person of Jesus. Whether it's Isaiah speaking, Jeremiah speaking, Ezekiel speaking, Daniel speaking, you bring everything they're saying and you use Jesus as the plumb line. Wherever it falls upon Jesus, that's the message. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus took his disciples to the Mount of Transfiguration. And there God showed them a picture of Jesus with Moses and Elijah. And my friend Peter was so carried away. He must have been overwhelmed as I was this last few days. He said, my goodness, look at this. Moses, Jesus, Elijah. He said, God, let's meet three tabernacles. What, how did God respond? Heaven opened up and spoke. This is my only begotten son. Hear ye him. Amen. Forget the law, Moses. Forget Elijah, the prophets. Because both Moses and Elijah represented both the law and the prophets. And God was saying to them, don't get carried away with what they've done. Jesus lives in the present tense. Elijah was good, but he's gone. Ezekiel was great, but he's no longer. There is only one who speaks now and he speaks forever. His name is Jesus, that son of the living God. Jesus is the complete and the full 
and final revelation of God to mankind. End of story, period. It's Jesus plus nothing. Nothing is to be added. Nothing is to be taken away. It's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. That's the language God speaks right now. And so if you're going to function in the kingdom of God, you better get Jesus. You better get him and understand what he's saying. I said four things. So the first thing is the language of the kingdom. It will help you to understand where God is coming from and where God is going. The second thing is, you must also acquire the culture of the kingdom. So number one is language, Jesus or Sonish. Number two is culture. We sent out missionaries in the past who did not understand the culture of the people in which they are serving. And so it was potential for offense every day. Wore me out. Phone calls. Hey, Pastor, this has happened. Oh, Pastor, that's happened. And the problem was because of the lack of understanding of the culture. So if you and I are to function in the kingdom of God, we must not only know the language of God or language of the kingdom, we must understand the culture of the kingdom. And the culture of the kingdom in which you and I live is not about love. Love, L-O-V-E, simple. Love. Everything God does is motivated by his love. Why would God take an Ebu dollar? Who had a nothing? Who was cast away and relegated and rejected? But because of the abundance of God's love and mercy, God said, I created her in my own image. And I will not abandon her even though men reject her. For when we were yet sinners, God demonstrated his love towards us. My Lord and my God. The love of God is what motivates God to do anything he does for us. And so as members of his kingdom, that's the culture we must demonstrate. Our world will respond to us better if we start judging them and and start loving them. Oh, time will not permit me. To help you understand how this is so critical. This is huge. This is huge. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus was looking at the multitudes. And he said they are weary. And they are scattered. But then he said something that really blew me away. For me and you as mortal people, we look at them and label them unbelievers. But Jesus saw those same people and called them sheep without a shepherd which means he was not looking at them on the basis of their present condition but he was looking at them through the eyes of destiny knowing that he God had created them in his own image and likeness and that he God intended to bring them in into a place of rest and prosperity he said but the problem is I have no shepherds I have no guides. I have no instructors. I have no one to help them to become whom I created them to be. But he never condemned them. Never. If I look 15 verse 1 tells us that the sinners love to hear Jesus. Did you ever read that in your Bible? Is that the way sinners take us in the church today? 
They see Mr. Preacher coming, they run away. They see your clergy collar, immediately they pick grace. They know you're about to condemn them, judge them, criticize them, and they are repelled by our presence. And yet the Bible says, sinners loved to hear Jesus. There's a problem. And that's because we've not acquired the culture of the kingdom. The woman that was caught in adultery, I mean, they brought stones and said, oh God, when will you stone this woman? Let's stone her. Quick, let's settle this thing. And they were shocked. When Jesus found a way to protect the woman, bring correction, they were shocked. And they said to the woman, where are your accusers? Love was speaking. Not the law. There's a distinct difference between the law and love. The law will tell you your present condition without offering you any help for change. The law will tell you you are guilty as charged, but will not lift a finger to help you. Love will say, yes, I understand. You are in a bad shape. However, I've come to do what? Lift you up. Love has lifted me this morning. Just as love lifted Mama Ebudola. And that love is available to lift you. But not only that, that you now should go and lift others. If you're going to be a part of the kingdom of God. So number one, you get the language. Number two, you get the culture. Number three, you must have the operating system. You have to have the correct operating system if you're going to function in the kingdom of God. Folks, the system has changed. There was a time when God functioned under the law. We are no longer in the dispensation of the law. And for a lot of people, this is not news to you. You understand this. We are under grace. Grace means unmerited, unearned, and undeserved favor. You never lifted your finger to do anything, but God said, you know, I'll do it for you. It's like a three-feet man a four-foot guy, four-foot guy, tried to dunk the basketball. Do you know how hard that is? Yeah. You're four feet tall and you try to dunk. But you know what Jesus does? He puts you on his shoulders. You don't have to strive. I just, I just, I'm as tall as the black basket. Just put it in there. That's what grace does. It lifts you up. But the Bible says to us in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, for we are saved by grace through faith grace makes God available but the system to appropriate God is faith grace makes it available it's there, it's provided but you can only access it by faith this is huge this is huge we are living in a day now where everybody has a smartphone how many Apple iPhones do I have in the house? Ah, uh, okay, see? Wait a minute. Okay, so we have a few. If I say this in Atlanta, they shut me down because 90% of the church is iPhone. Apple. How many Androids? Samsungs. <laughs> Why am I saying that? Why am I saying that? Apple and Android can never cross. 
Two different systems. They are both good, but you will never use Android to operate iPhone. And you will never use iPhone to operate Android. It will never work. So if you are going to function in the kingdom of God, you better get on God's page. Use this playbook. And God's playbook is faith. You are saved by grace through faith. Faith is the current operating system. And number four, and this is where I segue back into the message. So you must have the language of God, sunish. We must have the culture of the kingdom, love. We must operate the operating system of the kingdom, faith. And last, and not, but not the least, we must have the attitude of the kingdom. Attitude of the kingdom, which is thanksgiving. In all things, we are told, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning us. You say, well, pastor, you don't understand my situation. How can I give thanks? Really? Shall I call the first witness? Mr. David, who was living in caves, running from place to place, serving faithfully, and javelins have been thrown at him. And yet, it pains for us in Psalm 34 verse 1, I will bless the Lord at all times and his praises shall continually be in my mouth hallelujah it doesn't matter what you are going through or what's happening with you what matters is how you respond to the situation in all things give thanks and then we charismatics we try to say well you know what we want to adjust that that's just, God can't mean what he says how can I give thanks in all things so we say well what God is really saying is you give thanks in certain situations and, uh, but not with everything. Really? So Paul came back and, co- and made it even plainer in Ephesians 5.20. Not only do we give thanks in all things, but we give thanks with everything. Everything. And I pray that God will help us to understand the power that is in thanksgiving this morning so that we can begin to live with the attitude of the kingdom. Your attitude, I'm telling you, will determine how far you go. Attitudes are almost prophetic. Let me explain what I mean. If you ever enter an elevator with a man or woman with bad attitude, you'll know right away. Oh, yes. Immediately that elevator door closes, you can look at them and they exude something that tells you, stay away. Bad attitude, like a bad breath, keeps you away. Attitude is like a man or a woman using a perfume or cologne. The first time you spread the cologne on you or the perfume on you, you smell it. But thereafter, you don't smell it any longer, but everywhere you go, everybody picks it up. That's what attitude is like. It's a revealer of what's going on in you. Everybody around you understands exactly once they see you because you cannot hide your attitude, you wear it on your face. They know this is a a no-go person. Stay away from them. This is the attitude of the kingdom. Now, back to the text in Luke 17. Jesus 
By the way, you notice anytime we talk about leprosy or leper, Jesus does not say heal the leper. He says cleanse the leper. Cleanse. That's the term he uses. Now, after they are cleansed, he may call them healed. But when he sent those disciples out, heal the sick, he said cleanse the leper. There's a reason for that. Because leprosy is the closest physical thing that can be used to describe a spiritual condition. And so, whenever Jesus cleanses a leper, notice what he tells them. Go and show yourself to the priest. <laughs> Let the priest know there's a language of the kingdom that's here. Because up till that time, the only thing the priest could do about leprosy, inspect it, and based upon their inspection, pronounce the individual as unclean, but they lacked the ability to do anything to make them clean. The priest knew that. They were limited in their ability to make a leper clean. So Jesus quickly told those people, he said, go and show yourself to the priest. Because these priests think they represent me. But they don't know the day has changed. They don't understand there's a new dispensation. They don't understand that a new day has dawned. They are still carrying their priesthood, but they don't know they are limited. There is a one here now, the language of God, that is without limitation, that is not limited by anything. Go and show yourself. Let them marvel at how you got your cleansing. The law against of leprosy was given to help me and you understand how the law worked. The law of Moses. Where the priest can only inspect, they can only pronounce, but they lacked the power to effect any change. So by looking at the laws of leprosy, you know how the law functions. Thou shalt not kill. Can you help me not to kill? No. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Can you help me to stop committing adultery? No. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Can you help me to stop? No. He can only condemn me when I fail. That's why this language of God is so critically huge. Because it not only shows me what's wrong, it shows me how to overcome it. Hallelujah. But more importantly, the reason Jesus was irritated that denied the not return was because in Leviticus chapter 14, after the priest inspected a leper and see that they had been cleansed, there was an appropriate attending thanksgiving sacrifice that was to be performed. You read this in Leviticus chapter 14. So Jesus is the essence telling them, go and show yourself to the priest and give thanks for what has happened. Because the attitude of God's kingdom is that of what? Thanksgiving. Jesus himself modeled that for us so beautifully. He lived a life of thanksgiving. Think about that. This is Jesus, who is a great provider. This is Jesus, 
who's a living bread and yet in john chapter 6 as he multiplied the loaves what did he do he gave thanks god thanking god for his own provision is a model in matthew eleven twenty-five, the one who's our wisdom was thankful for the wisdom given to the simple wisdom incarnate thanking god for wisdom ah john 11 really amazes me standing at the grave of Lazarus, the one who's the resurrection and the life about to call life out of death what was the prayer he gave father i thank you for you hear me what always he lived a life of thanksgiving modeling showing us that thanksgiving was an everyday occurrence we have never lived in a more ungrateful generation a generation that majors on entitlement that is why the life of this man and woman has impressed me so much over the years do you not know as hard and as tough and as demanding last four days were i woke up this morning to one message from tunde and lide bakari thanking me for coming for the funeral so you have to wonder when did he get the time after this intense four days to take the time apart and give thanks i am telling you the value of thanks diminishes over time it's not just having a lifestyle of thanksgiving but knowing how to give thanks in the appropriate time huge let me give you some life examples years ago before we began a church a ministry supported us with money every month i know part you know about that they've supported us for about two years maybe three years and i got a letter to say the support was going to stop effective the next month I will never forget it because as a missionary evangelist traveling all over the world those supports are your lifelines and that support was a significant amount four figures and here's the letter this is real the support stops next month Sharon Tokes towing you guys are about to support this lifeline is cut off how would you respond god said to me the man is not your source i am your source respond with an attitude of thanksgiving listen what i'm sharing this morning is not what i read in the book i've lived through it and i've watched my friend live through it i'm serious i'm very very serious so my wife and i we came together we prepared a gift I was out of town when a letter came. I was, in, I was in the UK, got back to Atlanta, prepared a gift with a letter, and went to the ministry to give it to them, to thank them for having supported us for three years previously. 
and bless them. Because if God told them to start, God can tell them to stop. We live in seasons. Hear what happened. As I entered the building, the first person I saw was the man who was cutting the checks every month. In those days, there was no direct deposit. They cut a check, which means they wrote a check and put it in the mail. The first man I saw was the man who cut the check. Oh, the story will not be complete. There were two of us who was getting similar support. Friends. When a man got his letter, he called me. He said, Bank, did you get the letter from blah, blah, blah? I said, yes, I did. He said, what? How dare he doubt that? True story. True story. He said, because God is blessing his ministry, he's multiplying, and he's going to do this. I just listened. But as I was listening, I was cleansing myself at the same time. Not meaning wanting to be defiled. Seriously. But the man came out and said to himself, Bank, you won't believe what happened. He said, Pastor has decided to double your support, not stop it. I'm not kidding. I uh, taking the gift. I could not even present the gift before the announcement was made, the support will be doubled. God says it. True story. Abba, I can tell you story after story. A few years ago, this one is more recent. Had an invitation to preach in a very high platform ministry. The invitation normally will come about six, seven months before the time. So you are preparing. You are preparing. Ah, this is the day. You are preparing. You are preparing. <laughs> Three weeks of the day. They did not have the courtesy to write another letter. This time they asked my friend to call me. To disinvite me. Hey! I was disinvited. <laughs> True story. My brother's here. True story. True story. Thanks, Pastor Names. I was disinvited. Hey! How do I handle the ministry of disinvitation? <laughs> Let me tell you what I did. Immediately, I got a phone call. In fact, my friend was so, he was so embarrassed. He didn't know how to say that. Uh, uh, bang, uh, he was just stammering. Ha! <laughs> well, once he started stammering, I know, I know there was a problem. <laughs> this is what I did. I sat down, constructed one of the most powerful letters I've ever written. Thanking him for inviting me and helping really move the burden from him to understand that these things do happen, that if God placed me on his heart to invite me, God can also say disinvite. I prayed for the meeting and I sent a check of $1,000 to bless the meeting. True story. And when the meeting started, I came and sat in my regular position. On the front row. Uh-uh. I did. I did. Let me tell you what happened. 
The following year, same meeting, I was invited again. Same place, same ministry. Can you imagine what the devil was telling me? Keep on preparing. Wait three weeks before the meeting. I mean, the enemy was talking loud and clear. Was I deterred from my attitude of the kingdom? No. It does not matter what the enemy is saying or doing. And then we do and say something. That's their position. They must. Your position is to remain steadfast in the attitude of the kingdom. How should Jesus have responded when he came to save us and he was calling him the son of Belial? Am I better than him? Are you better than him? Long story short, the day came, I went, till this day, I have never received such honorarium in my life. Till this date. I cannot mention the sum. I really can't. It's unlawful. It's unlawful. This is super duper mega huge. <laughs> but here's the catch. So do I <laughs> so do I now think I've preached such a wonderful, powerful message that brought that kind of response? I'll be a fool to think so. No, he had nothing to do with the message. He had everything to do with the attitude of the kingdom. It's the attitude. So what I'm saying to you is, in spite of, despite of, no matter what, stay put by having the right attitude. Men may mock you. Systems may reject you. People may laugh at you. They may despise you. But I'm telling you, weeping may endure for a moment, but joy comes in the morning. Time will not permit me to give it testimony after this thing works. You are seeing this man and woman. You see them every Sunday. You just think, oh, no, they have a special prayer. No, it's the lifestyle. It draws resources. It draws favor. God places your people's heart to be a blessing to you because you have the language, you have the culture, you have the attitude, and you operate in the right system. Things will line up. In Genesis 43, a time of famine. The entire world was lavishing in famine. Jacob had sent his sons to Egypt to procure grains. They went the first time, they came back with goods. And then they stayed around for a little while. And the famine had not let up. Notice. In Genesis 43, 11, 
when Jacob sent them back a second time. <laughs> and their father Israel said to them, if it must be so, then do this. In parenthesis, if you're going to go back, have the right attitude. <laughs> do this. Take some of the best fruit of the land in your vessel and carry down a present for the man. A little balm and a little honey. Keep on. Spices, myrrh, pistachio, nuts, and almonds. Excuse me. I thought there was a time of famine. I thought it was a time of luck. There is luck in the land. But yet, the man had enough presence of mind, the right attitude to understand that first I must give thanks for what I got in the past, while at the same time have confidence for the future provision. Therefore, even though there's a time of luck, take of what you have. However little it is, take it, package it. Let's go back to Egypt. And let's thank the God for the man for his previous provision while looking for the future deliverance. They didn't go empty-handed. God woke you up this morning. You have the audacity to just start praying and don't thank God for waking up. You jump to your feet and start asking for a car, a house, a husband, a wife, a children. Excuse me? Paul tells us be careful for nothing in everything did he say everything? no 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 please stop back me did he say everything? oh he said maybe sometimes when you feel like it when you are happy only in everything with prayer and supplication with 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 thanksgiving your prayer is not complete if there's no thanksgiving. You see water in a glass and you can complain, man, this is only half full. Or rather, yeah, half empty. Why you give me a half empty glass? Rather than being thankful that it's half full. Simple things like that. People do things for you. I have people in our church we just had graduation. This is season of graduation in the U.S. From kindergarten to high school, and that's big. It's huge. You guys don't play with that. And I think for good reasons. We may be falling away from God, but we understand celebrating God. We understand celebration. Every attainment, every accomplishment celebrated powerfully. Even kindergartens. Little toddlers, they put graduation gowns on them. Oh. <laughs> and they will march. Because you see, if you don't celebrate yesterday's victory, how will you respond to tomorrow's victory? You have to. And as a pastor or a leader, you must acknowledge the fact that they've accomplished something, however little. Support them, facilitate it. But the point I'm making is we gave our gifts to most of those kids. And I noticed some will thank you immediately and give you a card the next day to say thank you. Oh, that's three weeks will pass. Ah, I said to myself, oh, my show. This, they don't understand. Not because I won't thank, but because I'm realizing that parents are not doing a good job parenting. 
Because the value of thanks diminishes over time. Somebody gave you something today, you are thanking them three weeks later. If that does not impress you as a human being, how much more is God impressed? Dr. Phil is a psychologist with a talk show in the United States. Popular. May 1 showing of his episode. A 15-year-old brought his, uh, her mother to the show. This blew me away when I saw this. You know what the program was about? The girl was complaining about her mother cutting her allowance. She had been receiving, hear this, only $2,500 a month. Wait a minute, at the age of 15. And she was cutting it to only $1,000 a month. And she complained bitterly. And she said her birthday was coming up and was demanding from her mother a G-Wagon. And her mother was negotiating her down to C-class Mercedes. On television. Back and forth and back and forth. They were arguing and fighting. And Dr. Phil said to her, why do you think you deserve a G-Wagon? He said, because that's my life, that's my show. That's what I want. The man said the car costs $241,000. That even him cannot afford to buy a car like that. I said, that's you, but this is me. At 15. 15. If it was Abigail, a Budola. I can just picture my mind's eyes. First of all, that look. The look that my mom will give the girl or the boy. Are, are you drunk? Are you insane? And then Phil said to the girl that she needs to get a job. That's where, that's where trouble really broke out. She says, no, I'm, she's not working. And she started crying. That a job was suggested at 15. Listen, we are laughing, but I'm telling you that's the picture of an ungrateful generation. And it's not just in the world, it's also in the church. The generation of entitlement. This is my name, you ought to know who I am, I'm entitled to this. Parents teach and train your children. It's not automatic. It's not automatic. But as I close, remember Genesis 37? This is the generation of Jacob. Joseph. Joseph. Here is Jacob. Time had passed. He's no longer able to do what he used to do. And times were hard austerity was in the land. Who provided for him? The Bible said Joseph sent wagons to go and bring his father. I said, God has blessed me in Egypt. And I understand as a child, 
there are some things I must do that's befitting for my parents and those in my clan. And he brought his family to Egypt and provided for them and gave them the best of Egypt. That's what children who are thankful are supposed to do for their parents. Not because the parents are in need or lack. It does not count. No, no, it's not extremely because of that. But out of honor. Ephesians chapter 2 says, honor your father and your mother. For this is the first commandment with promise. That it may be well with you. And that you may live long on the earth. The reason people are dying prematurely. Go find out. Find out what they've done to their parents. You are in Lagos riding C-class Mercedes, riding Lexus, and your parents are riding, riding a rally bicycle in the village. Your parents are catching Okada, and you're driving a nice car, and you say, I- I'm living a life. No, you are not. You are existing, you are not living. Why should your parents, through whose vehicle you come to the earth, and are blessed? Be lavishing in pain and lack. And you're saying, I am living. No. You are existing. You are not living. You are not living. You are not living. We've got to get this right. The language of God. The culture of the kingdom. The operating system. And the attitude. Jonah. I close with this story. You're very familiar with it. Thrown in the river, in the, in the sea. First of all, before I go to Jonah, if you read Psalms 106, verse 1, Psalms 107, verse 1, Psalms 118, verse 1, Psalms 136, verse, verse 1, there are two things that's recurring in those message, in this, all of the Psalms. Two things. 107, verse 1, 108, verse 1, 118, verse 1, 136 verse 1. Give me the first one. 107 verse 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. For his what? And his mercy what? Those two things occur consistently. Why do we give thanks? Because number one, it's good. It's good. Number two, his mercies endure forever. It's not the mercy that you gave yesterday that will expire today. Forever. Jonah is in the belly of the fish. You know the story. Out of disobedience. First of all, you understand what I said to you about God's grace? If anybody deserved to to perish, Jonah did. He was disobedient. God said, go here. He went there. Under the law, serious punishment. But God put that there to show us how grace works. A man that's running away from God, God in trouble for disobedience, and what did God do? He rescued him. God was the one that sent the fish to pick him up. To pick up a disobedient man. As a pastor, we will lecture the guy. Lecture number one, don't disobey God again. Number two, go and fast and pray. Number four, we're given 19 reasons, things he must do, so he does not get in trouble again. And God said, you are not talking for me. Because where sin abounds, gets much more abounds. God's grace will always surpass your sin. Now, please don't leave here to say this is a license to go and sin. There is pain, there's agony in sin. 
you will regret it. But the point is, God is bigger than that. If you ever understand why Jesus came, you understand that God is bigger than that. The same God whom Jonah disobeyed was the one that sent his refuge, his submarine to save him. Can you imagine that? And then in the belly of the fish, the revelation came to him. He said, I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. And immediately he did that. The fish found land. You are one thanksgiving away from your deliverance. Amen. You are one thanksgiving away from your blessing. Amen. And so, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, every man and every woman under the sound of my voice will acquire your language, will acquire your culture, will acquire your system of operation, and will live in a lifestyle of thanksgiving, forever giving thanks to you for every convenience and every blessing of life. Yes, even when we are in hardship, we recognize that our eyes are upon thee, and you are able to move heaven and earth to move in our favor. And so, Lord, I transmit to this congregation that grace that's worked on Pastor Bakari's lives, that grace that's working upon my life, to live a life of thanksgiving, to rejoice always before the Lord, to bless the Lord continually, and to allow his praise to continually be in our mouth in the name of Jesus and as we receive this mandate and wear this attitude we will see the world coming to your feet and bowing down and becoming a believer to the glory of God thank you Father God for giving us a powerful example in this house and give us the grace Father to live it out in Jesus name you are blessed